Week one is in the books with a fantastic slate of Thursday through Monday games. Five solid days of football. It was excellent. But of course, just prior to that, we got breaking news that we will have college football playoff expansion come 2026, possibly earlier if, gosh darn, we can make a few adjustments to get it on the TV schedule earlier and move some dollars around to kind of make that work in contract uh, TV negotiations. So college football playoffs expanded for sure to 12 teams in 2026. So is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I don't know why that's got to be the hot debate. I think it's excellent. I'd love to see a larger playoff format, even if it is only the top teams, the one, two, three teams at the top that really have a chance to win. This has kind of been a holdout because we have playoff brackets at every other level of college football. You know, it's kind of like men's college basketball, how they insist on playing two 20-minute halves, where basketball at every other level of men's and women's plays 10 or 12-minute quarters. Men's high school the NBA, women's college, high school, and professional. But gosh darn, men's college basketball has got to get those advertising dollars in every four minutes of gameplay. So they just can't switch the actual game to line up with the rest of college basketball, professional basketball, and high school basketball at every other level. So they're literally warp how the game is played and the time that it's you know played in due to those advertising dollars. So in this particular case, we were able to uh, loosen up some money here and infuse it into the college football pocketbooks here of the big wigs and uh, get an expansion. Just like every other sport at every other level, the top teams will, of course, be favored heavily. And maybe once every decade, we'll get an outside contender. I'm fine with that. That's how things go. This is sports. I think it's it's excellent to have this expansion. I don't think it hurts anything. Teams at the high school level, again, play additional games at the end of the season. Teams in the NFL play additional games at the end of the season. Safety is obviously very important. It sounds like equipment's come a long day since my high school playing days over a decade ago. I am all for it. I think it's excellent that we'll have home games for those that are higher seeded, and they'll even get buys for the higher seeds as well. So some of the uh, lower end teams just barely squeaking in and uh, kind of getting added by way of that increase will get to duke it out to kind of earn their way to fight the bigger guys. So that's fine. The higher seeds. That's fine with me. Finally, by the time I'm 35 or 40, we'll get a proper college football playoff at the highest Division One A level here. Is it going to hurt the regular season? Yeah, it certainly could. But you're still looking at teams that have two losses at most making it in. And again, you still need probably no losses or one loss, one of the top one loss teams to get that first buy, which is very important. And again, you're hosting at home sites. So it's not going to diminish winning in your very short 12 game schedule that much. I just don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as it's made out to be. Uh, as a detriment to the regular season of college football. Now, there is a possibility that it waters down conference championship games. If Alabama and Georgia, for example, are playing in a conference championship game, 
Alabama beats Georgia and wins the Southeastern Conference, of course, the SEC. And then both teams make the playoffs. That's certainly a possibility. Maybe Alabama gets the bye and Georgia makes it in whatever. It's a 9, 10, 12 team. However, it works out. It's possible they re-meet in the playoffs. And in that particular case, maybe it does lessen the conference championships. Maybe you don't care so much about winning another SEC title. You just want to win another championship. But still, winning the SEC championship game could help further your standings and positioning in the playoffs. It's still a game that matters. It's still a big football game. And if you already have a loss, taking a second could bounce you out of the playoffs. That's still in the range of outcomes. So could it lessen the impact of a few of those games? Sure, absolutely could. Could a one-loss Michigan and a one-loss Wisconsin team in the Big Ten championship game knock one of them out of the playoffs and put one of them in this year? It absolutely could. In a playoff 12-team scenario, would they both still be in? Yeah, they probably would. They'd still both probably have a chance at a national championship, and it would lessen kind of the Big Ten title game. But is that really that big of a deal? To me, it isn't. No one's really been that excited about conference championship games for a while anyways. You're just trying to get into the playoffs and win a national championship. So they have lost their luster a long time ago as far as I'm concerned. It just pushes off the elimination game into the playoff round rather than make the uh, conference championship game an elimination game. I don't think it will impact recruiting. We're clearly seeing that the NIL uh, possibilities are starting to eclipse a lot of other, what it seems, motives for attending different schools. Texas A&M obviously bringing in the highest rated recruiting class ever last season. Alabama was still up there at number two last year as well. Florida is already... uh, Looks like they'll have a top five recruiting class along with Notre Dame for this 2023 cycle. But the NIL, opportunity to play, coaching staff, proximity to home, that kind of thing. And from what different reporters and folks involved in the recruiting processes have said, accessibility to the playoffs is actually not as important to the players. Although recruiting top players is a priority for top coaches, obviously, to win. So there still is a bit of a correlation there. But again, NIL seems to be affecting where top recruits go. That's obviously the top schools that can afford them. And if you're winning, you're getting more money from boosters and continue to win and pull in top recruiting classes. All rolls together there. And I think if you see more teams, more universities getting into the playoffs and just having a shot in an extended postseason and still a shot at a national championship, you'll see more alumni come out of the woodwork for those respective colleges and maybe see a bit more money into those NIL collectives for each of those schools. And maybe we'll see a little bit more distribution of the top talent. Maybe nothing too wild, but I think there is a possibility that we do see a bit more distribution of the top talent. And we're talking about five stars here mostly because we see those kind of guys just all grouped together at the very top universities. For example, last year, 2022, Texas A&M had eight five-stars in their number one class. Alabama had three. Georgia had five. 
Ohio State had two, Texas had two, Penn State had three, and Penn State was the number six recruiting class. So Clemson had two, and North Carolina also had two, and they are the number 10 and 11 recruiting classes respectively. But Oklahoma's sitting there with the number eight recruiting class with no five stars. And if you were past the 13th spot, which was Oregon, which pulled one in, uh, Missouri got one at 16, but no one outside of the top 16 spots had any five-star recruits, anyone below that. And there were a couple in the top 15 that didn't have any five stars. And here Texas A&M is holding eight. Georgia's got five. Alabama still had three. And we can go into uh, four stars as well. Texas A&M had 20. Alabama had 21. Georgia had 17. Texas, 20. Ohio State, 18. And if you go past the 16th spot again in the top 25 there, you can add all those together. And uh, the next 10 schools have as many as Alabama by itself. So we see all the top talent again. No surprise, but that's how extreme it can be. Once you get past the top two handfuls of schools, it's certainly out of the top 20 schools. That's why it's particularly impressive when you see some closer games between these top powers and some of the smaller schools. Now, we didn't have the best examples this weekend between Oklahoma State and Central Michigan. Oklahoma State was inside the top 30 barely, but for example, last year alone, they had six four-stars, 14 three-stars, and Central Michigan had 14 three-stars. I don't know the last time they had a four-star, and they probably never had a five-star recruit. Alabama, for example, has 80% of its roster considered four- or five-star prospects. I think about 50 players are former four-stars, and 18, 19, 20 of them are former five-star recruits. 80% of the roster are four- or five-star players. Compared to some rosters, some teams that bring in one or two, three on a good year, and smaller schools that may bring in zero, five stars, and they're lucky to grab a four star too. Then think about that accumulation over years, and some players may outperform this ranking, and some may end up a little below, um, but still, it's just to help put in perspective the potential of players coming in, and when you look at it in that kind of scope, it's just mind-boggling the talent that teams like Alabama, now Texas A&M, and some of those top recruiting schools have. And even if they're still at a Power 5 level and they're a decent school, they're bringing in uh, solid guys year after year. And some of those smaller schools aren't even coming close. But is there a possibility between NIL money and alumni and ac- ac- ooh, accessibility to the playoffs, providing a boost in some of those fan bases to uh, get kids to their schools to infuse talent to the football programs. I think that's on on the table. I can certainly see that, and I would like to see a little bit more distribution of talent, even if it's only a handful of players every year. I think that would be exciting. And, you know, if it ends up the same way it is, all the uh, top talent going to the same few schools, then it's really not any worse than we are where we're at. So, But again, 12 teams, top four teams will get buys, a little bit more action playing at home sites in a a few years down the line here. So excited to see an expanded playoff format.
blessings, all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one. I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to. So our Thursday started out pretty wild. The backyard brawl was number 17, Pittsburgh surviving West Virginia 38 to 31. It was, um, I don't think exactly what we wanted from the two quarterbacks, Slovis and JT Daniels, the former USC QBs transferring in here to new schools. The third one for JT Daniels, the former Gatorade National High School Player of the Year, but he did look a little bit uh, better here than he did at his former stops. He did pitch for 214 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, only 5.4 yards per throw here, completed 23 of 24 passing yards, and did have a big throw at the end of the game. They were driving, going for a tying touchdown, and his receiver almost had his hands under the football to catch the ball at the one-yard line on a fourth down to convert it, and he did not. That's how the game ended uh, on review of a uh, ball that was originally called a catch and was overturned to be a pretty clear ball off the ground that rolled up into his arms. So an incompletion, and they lost by a score there. Pitt was actually able to tie the game up with about four minutes remaining, and the game-winning touchdown came off a tipped pass that was returned about 60 yards for a touchdown. So it's unfortunate it ended that way for West Virginia to give the go-ahead touchdown score to Pittsburgh. And then on the other end, of course, the potential game-tying touchdown um, did not quite happen because the pass was dropped on the one-yard line. So very unfortunate, very sloppy game. Ejections because of targeting, dropped ball, sloppy fobbles. Now we had that going on the same time as the Purdue-Penn State game in the same time slot there. Bryce Ford-Wheaton had nine of the catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. It looks like he'll be the primary target there. C.J. Donaldson had 125 yards and a touchdown on seven carries. He's actually listed as the tight end. But those look like the two, two of the more key pieces for West Virginia's offense there. We'll see how that team looks going forward. The defense actually had five sacks, which was two more than Pittsburgh had, and a couple of those came late. So I'm not sure about the uh, Panthers moving forward here. Slavis just didn't look very great. He was 16 for 24, 308 yards. They only managed 1.9 yards per carry on the ground, 76 yards altogether is what this team was credited for. So he really had to put the ball in the air against this defensive front for West Virginia, which was supposed to be a strength. And again, Pittsburgh was going to try and run the ball more coming into this season and pull the ball out of the air a little bit more. I think we learned more about West Virginia than Pittsburgh in this game. Uh, again, Kendon Slavis, I think we'll have to see more of moving forward and more of this ground game from the Panthers. But I think both sides, uh, the trenches for the Mountaineers looked pretty solid. And JT Daniels, not impressive numbers by uh, any margin, but some decent throws and a couple decent weapons on offense. So I think it's more more of an impressive showing by the Mountaineers in the loss than the Pittsburgh Panthers. Now Purdue, Penn State had a great ending. Uh, the Boilermakers had a terrible couple minutes just before half. Purdue was driving down 14-10. to 10. They managed to fumble the ball away in their red zone. 
and then turned around and gave up a huge touchdown just before half to go down 21 to 10. They had an opportunity to make a few tackles and just gave away a huge, huge passing play. Is horrific. Horrific tackling drops. There was an ejection because of targeting in this game as well. At one point, they had a corner that was offsides. At one point, they had a defensive play where there were three penalty flags, three separate penalties in the same play. It was uh, pretty horrific at times. Uh, Sean Clifford left for a couple series at the beginning of the second half, and true freshman Drew Alar at 6'5", 240, checked into the game and had a couple of good uh, passing plays before Sean Clifford was able to return. He also threw one of the worst picks you've ever seen in the fourth quarter that kept Purdue in this game, but ultimately it was a game-winning drive at the very end with just over two minutes remaining to take the final lead, 35 to 31, 57 seconds left. There were seven score changes in this sloppy game. Uh, Penn State pretty much looks like the same team as last year, dominant defense uh, with troubles on the offensive end. And Purdue just looked kind of sloppy. Alex O'Connell, again, pitching the ball all over the yard. And uh, he may have found another receiver, though. With uh, David Bell gone on to the NFL, Charles Jones had 12 catches for 153 yards and a touchdown. He had 12 of the 29 caught balls that Adrian O'Connell threw. O'Connell also had 356 yards, only one touchdown, though. Only 70 yards on the ground for the Purdue Boilermakers. Clifford ended up with four touchdowns, but they only had 98 yards on the ground. That's the nittany lines there. So, again... Penn State struggles on offense and Purdue sloppy, but I think they'll be right in the mix there in the uh, west of the Big Ten. The other game of note last Thursday was number 12, Oklahoma State, fending off Central Michigan 58-44, to covering that spread. I told you to keep an eye on now Central, Michi- Central Michigan's Daniel Richardson threw for 424 yards and four touchdowns. Now here's the deal. Obviously, Oklahoma State lost the defensive coordinator, moved over to Ohio State. We expected that to maybe make an impact, well, certainly make an impact for the Cowboys and how they're going to operate this season. But we did not expect them to have a 36-point lead on the Chippewas and then allow them to come back into the game. Now, Spencer Sanders has really been an unimpressive quarterback for most of his time at Oklahoma State. They ran behind... uh, a number of different running backs over the last few years. And they looked a lot different. Passing the ball a majority of the time, uh, 41 passes, the 32 rushing plays, of course, when they had the lead late, that skewed the numbers. But a lot more passing, a lot more open offense. Spencer Sanders looked great, 406 yards, four touchdowns. 11 carries for 57 yards and two more. He looked excellent operating the offense. But that defense, clearly on the other side, that's baffling to give up 44 points to Central Michigan. Obviously, the uh, leading rusher from last year, Lou Nichols, he had 26 carries for 72 yards and a couple touchdowns, but he's only averaging 2.8 yards per carry. It's just they should not have been in in this ball game. With this highest scoring margin, quite frankly. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Cowboys defense is able to respond moving forward. But the offense looks really exciting. This is one of the two teams 
that you had to be really, really excited about moving forward. Uh, that was a surprise, um, along with Arizona on Saturday, I think. So we'll get to them in just a moment. Moving into Friday, Michigan State, number 15 at home, hosting Western Michigan. I flipped this on after half, third quarter, and man, was that about the most garbage quarter of football I have ever seen. Western Michigan scored 10 points to make it a uh, 21 to 13 game at that point. And uh, Michigan State was able to score a couple touchdowns in the fourth to win that 35 to 13. It certainly had me questioning the defense there for a while and um, whether that was going to be a unit that fully recovers for being one of the worst secondaries in the country last year, the worst secondary in the country last year. And rather they, if they'd have to worry about the rushing defense as well, giving up 141 yards, only 3.8 yards per clip. So maybe they'll start to um, get that under wraps too, but certainly not something that I expected to see. Peyton Thorne did throw for four touchdowns, but only completed half of his passes, 14 for 24. And uh, Jaden Reed, not really as involved. Two catches for 31 yards, four catches for Kenyon Coleman, two for Trey Mosley. So just not super confident in uh, what was seen there. Of course, I didn't uh, recap the first half yet. Looks like they have a couple solid backs, and the defense did roll up seven sacks, including four by Jacob Winman. But um, Spartans need to tighten it up a little bit heading to Washington this week, across the country. And just to touch on a few of the other games here, because it was, again, a lighter slate on Friday, Virginia Tech did fall to the Old Dominion Monarchs 20-17. to It is going to be a very long season for the Hokies. Grant Wells was not benched, played the entire game as the quarterback for the Hokies, and threw for 193 yards, a touchdown, and four interceptions, and stayed in the game. Uh, it's that's I wouldn't expect much from the Hokies this year. Just a rough, rough go. Um, just doesn't look like a lot of talent on either of these rosters, really. But we got a nice field storming there for the Monarchs. Indiana won its first conference Big Ten game since 2020, surviving the Fighting Illini 23-20. A big win there for those folks. Connor Blazek, the quarterback, I cannot pronounce his name, uh, 28 of 52 for 330 yards. Uh, Not a whole lot statistically particularly stood out. 32 yards rushing. It's still going to be a rough slog for the Hoosiers. And the Illini that looked like they might maybe have a bright spot after slogging Wyoming last week. It's been beginning to look like Wyoming might just be an awful team. And uh, Illinois might have a trudge of a year or two here. So Chase Brown did have 36 carries for 199 yards for the Illini. But uh, they might have a long year coming here too. TCU in the late night beat Colorado 38-13. That was a rough start. TCU, uh, excuse me, Colorado was up. No, TCU was up 7-6 to six at the half. And it was a boring game uh, in that first chunk, let me tell you. Chandler Morris did start a quarterback for the Horn Frogs. 13 of 20 for 111 yards. Eye-popping numbers, just eye-popping. Max Diggins did appear as well. Uh, that quarterback position is just not, not fun right now. Hopefully someone emerges. You just... Can't have just 
ugh, Colorado's not a great football team, and uh, you just can't have this kind of pitiful performance. They did have 275 yards on the ground split amongst several quarterbacks. No one had more than 52 yards rushing. TCU did have to score three touchdowns in the fourth after Chandler Morrison left the game to really put this away. So not an exciting start for the TCU Horned Frogs, but it's possible if they can figure a few things out that they'll stay in the mix in the Big 12 because they do have a few players uh, such as Traverius Hodges Tomlinson in the secondary and uh, Keandre Miller at the running back position and Quinton Johnson at the receiver. He only had three catches for 22 yards. They can make some plays, but they got to figure out quarterback and you just can't have a game that tough against uh, Colorado, even on the road opening weekend. So let's head to Saturday, the noon slate. Let's hit on a few of the highlights here and I'll try not to get these jumbled, but in the noon slate were our two big Carolina games, the East Carolina Pirates hosting the number 13 NC State Wolf Pack and the Appalachian State Mountaineers hosting the North Carolina Tar Heels. One was a little high scoring than the other, you could say. Appalachian State falls 63-61 to to the North Carolina Tar Heels. Now here's the deal with the Teals, the Teals. Teal Heels, Tar Heels. Last week, they did play Florida A&M, so they now have two games under their belt. The defense is going to be a problem. Now, Appalachian State did score 40 points in the fourth quarter here. North Carolina, at one point, scored 34 straight points after being down a couple scores early. They did not have Josh Dobbs, their top receiver. That will make a difference moving forward. But Appalachian State had a chance to go for two points a two-point conversion multiple times in this game, but for two-point conversion to win the game at one point and then go for an onside kick, they did not get the two-point conversion to take the lead to hopefully win the game after the receiver was backpedaling in the end zone for a wide-open grab, and it just kind of sailed on him, went over his head. Now, they onsided, onsided, onside kick to the North Carolina Tar Heels, who then returned the onside kick for a touchdown, which they never should have done. They should have taken a knee and won the game by a point by running out the clock. Instead, they returned it to take an eight-point game with 28 seconds left. And two plays later, Appalachian State scored another touchdown. And this time, they needed the two-point conversion to force overtime. And again, they did not get it. And they fall by two points, 63-61 to 61 in just a shootout. Now, through two games, Drake May, the new quarterback uh, piloting the squad, has 777 yards of total offense. He can scramble. He can certainly throw the ball. 777 total yards and 10 total touchdowns, no turnovers. But the defense has given up 85 combined points to Appalachian State, who is supposed to be a solid team but not a necessarily potent offense, and Florida A&M, they had a third of its roster ruled ineligible just before the start of the game. So that's very problematic for the Tar Heels moving forward, but that was a hell of a game last Saturday. Now at the exact same time, we had a slugfest between NC State and East Carolina. Devin Leary, maybe the top quarterback, and a very quarterback-heavy ACC. He was only 13. 17 for 33 for 211 yards, a touchdown and a pick in this game. It was actually maybe outperformed 
by Holton Allers on the other side with the Pirates. 25 for 41 for 267, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Now, NC State in a back-and-forth game, they were up 14-7 to early, but late in this ball game, East Carolina was able to score a touchdown in the fourth but missed the game-tying extra point. And it was a 21-20 game at that point, and that's how it would stay. They would get a stop on North Carolina, force a punt, and have a potentially game-winning drive and missed the game-winning field goal. So missed the game-tying extra point, missed the game-winning field goal, and uh, just seems like a lot of things, a lot of juju going in the Wolfpack's favor as they managed to pull this game out looking very unimpressive. This is a team that's supposed to be near the top of the ACC, of course. Clemson, the popular pick to uh, win the whole conference. I did select the Wolfpack, so oh, help me out here. They're, they'll be going to Clemson in a few weeks here when they wrap up the non-conference slate. They do have Texas Tech in a couple weeks coming up. That potentially looks like a dangerous game, but they need to clean up a whole bunch of things. Eight penalties for 73 yards. Can't do that. They had they were solid on the ground with 133 yards, but need to be more efficient on offense. Only four for 13 on third down while giving up uh, nine out of 17 attempts. Just need to clean up on both sides of the ball. Looked very, very mid, as the kids say these days. Not a very impressive Wolfpack all the way around. At the same time, in the noon slate, two games that were not necessarily on the radar. Well, Nebraska won 38-17, to so I guess I should preference with that. Not a very impressive score, but this was a tied 7-7 ball game at the half before the Huskers were able to run away really in the fourth quarter because in the third quarter it was still 24-17. to It was still a ball game in the third quarter, and how embarrassing it would have been for Nebraska to not kind of pull this out in the uh, fourth quarter here. But Casey Thompson, 14 for 21, 193 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He was the transfer in once again from Texas, 244 yards on the ground for the Huskers and three touchdowns, two touchdowns and 189 yards came from Anthony Grant. But this does not bode well for Mr. Scott Frost, who again, his buyout is cut in half from 15 to 7.5 million coming October 1st. That's about three games away because they do have a bye week coming up here, but they have Georgia Southern, Oklahoma, and Indiana coming up on October 1st. So he needs to uh, step it up a little bit here if he hopes to retain his job, in my opinion. The other game that was slowly progressing, very ever so slowly, was Iowa, whose offense is still horrifically horrific. Less than 200 yards of total offense fending off South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Uh, respectable FCS team, always in uh, the running there at that level in the playoffs. But this is not a team that they should have been involved with at all. They survived 7-3 on the back of two safeties. That was the difference in the game. Two second-half safeties, and um, that's about all I have to say about this game. The Jackrabbits had 12 penalties to Iowa's two. The Hawkeyes, uncharacteristically, had two turnovers while forcing zero of their own. That's something that was different from last year. But combined, these teams had 286 yards of offense in just a horrific, horrific game. 16 total first downs. Hawkeyes lucky to get out of this alive 
And you really have to wonder with a more difficult schedule this year that includes Michigan and Ohio State and Iowa State this week. You just wonder what we're going to see out of the squad or if we're just going to see another pathetic 100 and something ranked Big Ten offense, 112th. It's just uh, embarrassing, quite frankly. In the afternoon slate, there were four notable games, and uh, about two of them turned out to be decent. One of them turned out to be surprising in a good way, and one turned out to be surprising in a dumpster fire way. So let's start with that one, because that'll be quick. Georgia, 49. Oregon, 3. It was over pretty quickly. It was 28-3 to at half. The first drive, the opening drive for the Ducks, first drive of the game, they came out, they're moving up-tempo, Bo Nix looks solid, it looked promising, and the Ducks were promptly drowned after that, and it looked pretty atrocious. The offense for Georgia looks great. It looks so good. Stenson Bennett is in there operating. He ran a ball in, faking the uh, defense out that they were running the ball to the left, and he had a keeper running around to the right-hand side, wide open. Great play. Carson Beck, the reserve quarterback, got in for several snaps. Georgia's offense just looks threatening. And the defense uh, looked solid as well. Not a whole lot to say here. 132 yards on the ground. So not sure. They'll find a running back. The running backs will be fine. But the passing offense, 368 yards, two touchdowns, an 11.9 average. Per toss, and that's important because several of the quarterbacks I've mentioned already are five, six yards per throw, more conservative. But Georgia was still getting the ball down the field. 25 completions on 31 tosses for Stenson Bennett. Kenny McIntosh, nine catches for 117. Let add McConkey, five for 73. Four for 80 on Mitchell, 65 yards there. And several other guys caught multiple balls. So This is going to be, I think, a more fun team to watch than I originally anticipated if they continue to move the ball like that and really trust Stenson and his offensive weapons, two of the key pieces uh, where the receiver's coming back on the offensive side of the ball because they're replacing all the backs uh, that were making key plays last season. But uh, the Ducks, I don't, you can't take anything from this. I have no idea. They may very well go back to the Pac-12 and still win 10 games. Because it certainly seems like playing in the Pac-12 and playing at the top level of the SEC is a completely different thing. But this was an embarrassment, 49-3. The up-tempo offense of the Ducks looks like it could be exciting when it works. But it, there's just there's a different level of athlete at every single position here. And I have absolutely no idea what to take from the Oregon Ducks moving forward. But Bo Nix sure looked terrible. He sure looked like he has the past few years at Auburn. And one of the knocks has been that he's had a different coordinator every single season that he's been in college. But this was supposed to be an improvement, reuniting him with the former coordinator from his first year at Auburn, I believe, here at Oregon. And this was bad. This was bad, bad. So they'll be playing on the Pac-12 network against East Washington this week for those who want to watch them take out their uh, pain on the uh, Washington Eagles there. That's actually a solid FCS-level team, or has been previously, so maybe that'll be a little telling if that's a little too close to call, but they won't get another test for a couple weeks here, and that'll be against BYU. So uh, we'll see how things go from here for the Ducks. 
Arkansas was able to nudge off Cincinnati 31-24. K.J. Jefferson, the key playmaker for the Razorbacks. He was 18 for 26 for 226 yards and three touchdowns. He also ran the ball 18 times for 62 yards and a touchdown. Raheem Sanders, the running back, carried it 20 times for comparison. He had 119 yards, 5.9 yards per clip. So it's going to be the R.J. Jefferson show. K.J. Jefferson show, excuse me, all the... uh, initials. He's going to be the focal point of this offense. I think again, that's a lot of runs for him. And he was clearly suffering throughout the game, had a lot of pain from the hits he was taking. Trey Knox had six grabs for 72 yards and a touchdown. And uh, yeah, the squad did a pretty good job of keeping the Bearcats in check. They were shut out of the first quarter, gave up 17 in the third. Ben Bryant, I didn't think was particularly impressive at quarterback for the Bearcats. He was in a quarterback battle there. He was 26 for 43 for 325 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And, uh, yeah, I just wasn't particularly impressed with Cincinnati's offense in general. But I have to go back and kind of review this game. Actually got a little bored in the middle of it, to be quite frank. But, um, yeah, the Razorbacks, I think, will be just fine, but this was a team that some speculated would be second behind Alabama in the East Division of the SEC, ahead of Texas A&M and LSU and Auburn and, you know, all the, that's a lower division, so take your pick on a lot of teams, and this was a favorite. I don't necessarily think that they should have clobbered the Cincinnati Bearcats, and I think Cincinnati will be fine. They have better players than a lot of teams in their division. Although East Carolina does play in the American, you know, conference, same as Cincinnati. So that could be an interesting game coming up. But uh, I just expected maybe a little bit more from both teams. I just didn't come away particularly impressed with either really in this game. Next up, Arizona. 1-11 Wildcats from last season. Won over San Diego State 38-20. The Aztecs were participants in the Mountain West championship last year they lost to utah state who was thumped by alabama 55 to nothing that was not a game at all that was really an embarrassment by utah state and a big statement by alabama but that's about all i'll spend on that game arizona looks pretty fun Jaden delora 22 for 35 for 299 four touchdowns and a pick he came over from washington state where they were pitching the ball around the yard and they look pretty solid. They look like they're going to be a fun team to watch. Jacob Cowing had eight receptions for 152 yards and three touchdowns. San Diego State, man, was a disaster. They were a disaster. 62 total yards passing, 170 yards on the ground, which is where they prefer to be. But this was not an impressive performance by them at, at any juncture. They just looked atrocious for a team that won the Mountain West last year. Brady Hoke is still there as, as the coach, and they really rely on that defense, but man, this was just bad. And there were a number of, you know, week one type of plays, dropped balls, poor decisions, but Arizona, man, I just can't can't speak highly of how exciting they looked on offense and flying around. Uh, they'll have a lot of challenges this year for sure, but uh, man, I just, can they push for a bowl game? That would be wild after the 1-11 season they had last year. But again, a new quarterback, some top recruits, a lot of good energy. They will have a test this week as we get to the watch guide here. 
Finally, Houston survived 37-35 to and triple overtimes over the UTSA Roadrunners. Honestly, this is one that I didn't get to watch a lot of, keeping an eye on the other games. This is one I'll have to come back and review. But Clayton Toon, 206 yards passing, 51 on the ground for four total touchdowns. For UTSA, quarterback Frank Harris had 331 passing and 63 on the ground for four total touchdowns. It was really a quarterback battle with their feet and their arms, and it was more of a defensive game than anything. As you can tell, the game didn't hit the 40s for either squad. It went to triple overtime, but this is what I would expect from certainly Houston and UTSA, which is a little more offensively focused. Toon did make a crazy leap to get in the game-winning two-point conversion. Again, it's the weird overtime rule, starting with the third overtime, where you basically have one play to make it in the end zone for two points. And uh, so Toon was able to make a crazy leap to make it in, and UTSA was not able to successfully convert. The big game, Ohio State hosting Notre Dame, was a 21-10 victory for the Scarlet and Red C.J. Stroud struggled. He ended up 24 for 34 for 223 yards and two touchdowns. Man, did he not look great. Travion Henderson ended up with 15 carries for 91 yards and 6.1 average. But, man, that's hard to comprehend after watching them on the field. Uh, J- uh, Jackson Smith and the Jigma, the receiver, went off injured. That certainly did not help them with stretching the field. Although, again, receivers all over the place for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And Notre Dame, Tyler Butchner, 10 for 18 after starting, I believe it was 5 for 5, 6 for 6, 7 for 7, maybe it was 7 for 7. Sorry, I'm all over the place here. Rough go to uh, end with those kind of numbers. Only 76 yards on the ground, so they did end up getting eaten up by that Buckeyes defense. Only 10 points in the first half and nothing in the second. So ultimately, Ohio State was able to shut them down. But you did have questions in the first half, certainly. And uh, again, that offense, which was supposed to be so reliable, such a sure thing, such a firework explosion, uh, really, really struggled to put points on the board. So lots of questions about Ohio State's offense moving forward. And I think it really raised the profile of Notre Dame, who's just expected to get blasted out of this game. Of course, still questions everywhere. Quarterback, can the run game hang in there? But the defense, uh, lots of respect for what that group can do. And they move the ball a little bit on Ohio State. Uh, but, uh, you know, is that more indicative of how much further Ohio State's defense still has to go? Will they continue to have a lot of struggle stopping the run this year as they did last year? We'll see moving forward. But uh looked better for Notre Dame in a loss than it did for Ohio State in a low-scoring victory here. The other big game, the Welch's Watch Guy top watch of the week was the Utah Utes heading across the country and going down to the swamp to play the Florida Gators. And they came up short. 26 to 29. Gators chomped them up. And what was a heck of a game? Cam Rising was 22 of 32 for 216, 1 and 1 pick interception. And uh, just a tough go. 230 yards on the ground. Florida's defense was solid. They had a number of players there for several years. They're still able to pull in those top recruits, uh, even in, in coaching turmoil there. And Billy Napier was able to do a great job kind of bringing those those guys, those pieces to the forefront there. Trey Dean had 12 
tackles. Brennan Cox had 10 tackles. They only managed zero sacks. I should have looked at that ahead of time. Zero sacks. Um, but they were able to get a little pressure on the quarterback there, Cam Rising, and ultimately get the game-winning interception there. And what I thought were some poor goal line formations there that really uh, bunched up their receiving options. But Anthony Richardson, not sure what we were going to get out of him. He forced Emory Jones out of there to Arizona State, chased him right out after kind of splitting quarterback duties last year. Now, he was only 17 for 24 for 168 yards, but he did run for 11 carries. That's what he was uh, uh, tallied up with for 106 yards and three touchdowns. And that was obviously, that was going to be his biggest asset was his feet. What can he do with that? The ball looks good coming out of his hands. It just looks so hard and fast coming out of there, so strong, like you might break a receiver's hand. But it looks good. It looks like a good ball. So I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of the year. Utah was supposed to have a good offense, a challenging secondary, a good group to kind of throw him for a loop. It's also supposed to be one of the better groups for the Pac-12, not necessarily one of the top-notch groups nationally. So he may face a greater challenge when he comes up against some of these SEC teams. So I don't expect him to have great games every week. I'm just not sure about that, but I'm very excited to see what he can do moving forward. Just getting a lot of hype off of those carries for touchdowns, and I just hate to see him come out for a week where he throws three or four interceptions for 100 yards and no no touchdowns and that kind of deal. Because that's certainly in the crystal ball here, but just a lot of potential high ceiling. But I think that floor is also a little lower than some people are projecting right now. But the Florida future looks very good. Utah just had a a tough time here. Uh, I still fully expect them to run through the Pac-12 at this point. They had a very, very rough uh, opening weekend, the Pac-12 did, with Oregon going down, Utah going down. Washington State was in a fist fight with Idaho, who dropped down to the FCS level years back. Arizona State, we weren't really able to fairly gauge. They didn't play real quality competition. Oregon State looked solid, beating Boise State in the late-night slate game. They won 34-17. Boise State looked atrocious. They straight up benched Hank Bachmeyer, who I stated previously that I was not a fan of, and he was out real quick. Freshman Taylor Green was in, 18 for 28 for 155 yards and a pick. Also carried for 102 yards and a couple touchdowns to kind of keep it, well, point, put points on the board, first of all, in the second half for Boise State, who shut out in the first. Uh, but this was a, a double up, 34-17 for the Beavers. And they look halfway decent, and uh, they were not expected to be in play at all for the Pac-12, so I'm not sure if that's good or bad. And USC gave up two touchdowns to Rice. So they may have put points on the board, 60-something points, but you should never be giving up points to Rice. So we'll see about the status of the Pac-12 in the next couple weeks, but it may be a rough go for that conference. Uh, The last game to kind of touch on here is Florida State-LSU, and what a disaster this turned into. I had to, to educate a, a good friend that was really enjoying the game on our holiday here that this was entertaining football, not good football, and that there was a difference. Bless her her little heart. But this was a 24-23 to victory 
by Florida State over LSU. Jordan Travis, 20 for 33 for 260 yards and two touchdowns for the Seminoles that really had their way with LSU for a good chunk of this game. And the Tigers, man, two muffed punts that led to scores, a missed game-winning, game-tying extra point. They had a penalty on a kickoff that gave the Seminoles extra yards. Just a disaster. Their only offense was Jaden Daniels, who carried, who accounted for 114 of their 139 rushing yards and all their passing yards, of course, 209 yards and two touchdowns. It was just a bad showing all the way through. Uh, Kayshawn Butte, the top receiver, two catches for 20 yards. And uh, there's a controversy on whether he's leaving the program now because he erased all the LSU stuff from his social media after the game and was being talked to by the coaching staff during the game. He was upset that he wasn't getting targets. So who knows what the hell's going on here? The right side of the offensive line was getting blown up. The left side was holding on a little better. This was just a tough time uh, all the way around by LSU, yet they were in this ballgame. So how good is Florida State, really? This is just not, not uh, again, this was an exciting game to watch, but this was not good good football in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Florida State might have a real defensive line, or LSU's offense might be really, really atrocious. Jordan Travis, I, I think, will be fine moving forward. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of these teams. I think Florida State will at least be interesting. LSU might be a complete dumpster fire if this is uh, any indication of how things are going to go. Jane Daniels is fun, but he might just get smoked uh, and crushed behind that offensive line. So we'll see if Brian Kelly is able to make any changes moving forward. Clemson did win 41-10 on Memorial Day. It took them a while to get fired up. They led 14-3 to at the half. DJ Ungley did uh, start and did play a good chunk of the time. Cade Klubnik did come in. He's four for six for 49 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and neither one was impressive. Ungley was 19 for 32 for 210 yards and a touchdown. And again, it took a while for the offense to get going at all. So not, not impressive in any shape, way, form by the Tigers, uh, other than on the defensive side where they held the uh, Yellow Jackets to less than 250 yards of total offense, despite quarterback Jeff Sims' best efforts. 23 of 36 for 164 yards, less than five yards per attempt, but again, doing different plays to try and negate that pass rush, and uh, he had 41, 41 yards carrying as well. One of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football, and he will be his whole career because he's going to get crushed behind not very good offensive lines, and he's stuck on a tough roster there. Uh, on Georgia Tech. Your Welch's Watch Guide Week 2 will start on Friday, September 9th, and after 20-plus games during Thursday and Friday last week, we only have two falling on Friday this week, and you'll be able to watch them both. We got a nice double header on ESPN2 and then the CBS Sports Network. First, we'll be tackling Louisville at Central Florida at 7.30. That's the ESPN2 game. Now, Louisville, we have some concerns with. Central Florida, we're not really positive. They beat the hell out of South Carolina State 56-10 to last week. We've learned nothing about that team other than they are not a, not a bad team, I guess. And Syracuse hammered Louisville 31-7 to in a shocking, shocking game. Uh, Louisville was certainly favored 
in that contest. We thought this could be the year. The Louisville Cardinals, Malik Cunningham at quarterback. This group makes a move to be one of the top teams in the ACC. And man, were they absolutely gutted by the little Syracuse Orangemen. The little Orangemen last week, 31-7, to terrible. Sean Tucker running back 98 yards and two touchdowns against the Louisville Cardinals. And they've got a whole lot of ground to look to, to make up here because it certainly looks like they're going to be struggling to make a bowl game. After a loss like that, they have South Florida coming up. They have James Madison later in the year. But right now, South, Central Florida would be a huge get for this team to be able to knock them off. Uh, again, Malik Cunningham's going to be the focal point here. It's really going to become this offense get going. Losing two of their top receivers from last season has carried over and been a big problem. Tyler Hudson had eight catches for 102 yards last week, and uh, he's going to need to be a big piece again. Blake Cunningham was 16 for 22, but had two interceptions. We need better decisions there. Only 34 yards on the ground, but uh, they're, they're going to need to do something against the UCF Knights here. It's a possible blowout, which would be very not fun. But uh, John Rice Plumley had 308 yards and four touchdowns last year, last week, I should say, and 86 yards on the ground and another touchdown. A dual threat there, and he might actually be the better quarterback on the field, which we would not necessarily have expected come the beginning of the season just a few days ago. So Central Florida, Louisville, and uh, the Central Florida Knights are favored by almost a touchdown in this one. Your night game, Boise State, which is another team that looked horrible last week. They'll be traveling to New Mexico, who won their game last week. This is not a team that really picks up a whole lot of victories here, and it may have been 41 to nothing over Maine, but that is better than nothing, I suppose. The Broncos will have a chance to rebuild here. I assume that they'll be starting their new quarterback. They benched Hank pretty quickly here. Hank Brockmeyer, who's been there several years. He's a senior this year, but it'd be great to see their new quarterback, Taylor Green, step in. Again, only 155 yards passing and not limited action, but three quarters of action and an interception last week. But he did have 102 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. A much more exciting player, much more prolific on offense in last week's game, certainly. And it's Miles Kendrick under center for the Lobos. He had 170 yards, two touchdowns, two picks last week. And uh, they'll presumably be on the ground a little bit more than the Lobos will there. We could see some sputtering offenses, but we could see uh, certainly an interesting quarterback starting to emerge here for Boise State. So moving on to our Saturday slate now, Saturday, September 10th. Here is your key new lineup games, I should say. Now, the big one they're going to touch on here, and it's advertised all over the place, and you should really know by now, and that's going to be Texas and Alabama at Texas Memorial Stadium, the Longhorns, welcoming the Tide, who get criticized very often, Nick Saban does, for not traveling to play big games. I'm going to argue this isn't a big game. Uh, Texas starting a number of true freshmen up front. Quentin Ewers, of course, only playing his second game as a true starter, and they took a little bit to get warmed up last week against a much inferior opponent in Louisiana Monroe. But he was 16 for 24 for 225, two touchdowns and an interception last week. 
They had 134 yards rolled up on the ground. 10, 10 attempts by B. John Robinson, 71 yards and a touchdown for him. So great start, and they kind of limited his touches a little bit there as they mixed in other backs. But they weren't going to show us much in their route last week as they were prepping for this game. And Alabama wasn't going to show us much either, and they didn't need to in routing a good non-Power 5 team in Utah State, holding them uh, 55 to nothing, just blowing them out. So we don't know what either of these teams are so far at this season other than Alabama's probably going to be much better than Texas, and there's a lot of youth on that team. And if you remember, Texas's defense was not very good last season. We're not sure how that back end is going to hold up against Mr. Bryce Young, our Heisman winner, and this could be very ugly. It's a three, almost a three-touchdown line right now, and uh, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I think that Alabama is going to feast on the Young offensive line and this game could be similar to the Georgia-Oregon game that we uh, just witnessed this past weekend. But that is your big noon Fox kickoff game. That'll be the talk of the town this week. And uh, I think that'll promptly die down by roughly 12.30, 12.45, somewhere in that range, unfortunately. So let's find some better games for you to watch here. Starting with number 16, Arkansas hosting South Carolina. Now, Arkansas, again, very heavy K.J. Jefferson, the option play, running the ball, passing the ball. Hopefully he's recovered from his battling last week against Cincinnati. South Carolina took a whole lot of time to get ready and roll in behind Spencer Rattler last week. They struggled against Georgia State, who is a very feisty squad. They're out of the Sun Belt, and they ultimately won that game 35-14. to but it was a 12-7 to lead for the Gamecocks at halftime, and it just took a while for Spencer Rattler to get going. One touchdown, two interceptions, 227 yards. So this will be a much bigger step up in competition for him, but if he manages to, uh, to hang in there, it's going to be a good indicator that the South Carolina Gamecocks made the right decision in bringing him in at uh, quarterback here. But it's going to be a tough test, and if Arkansas is able to Grab another nice win here early. It's certainly not the most difficult team on the schedule, but they play Missouri State next week. It'll be a nice 3-0 start for the Razorbacks before heading to Texas A&M on the 24th and then heading to Alabama after that, and it's just, just an uphill slog after that. So this could be a key game to either really spark the South Carolina Gamecock season or to kind of allow the, the Razorbacks to continue their role before they hit a couple Really big teams coming up. Now that same Georgia State team will be hosting North Carolina in the noon slot on ESPNU. This is about a seven and a half point spread right now. As we know, North Carolina is having a hell of a time stopping anybody. And by that same token, Drake May is shredding defenses. So this will be an interesting game to watch Georgia State who loves to keep the ball on the ground and scamper around and has some real quality players on the defensive end. Now, they did have over 200 yards, the Georgia State Panthers, 200 yards on the ground last year, uh, last, last week, and they should be able to move the ball again on North Carolina here. Now, Darren Granger only had seven completions on 29 attempts passing the ball. That's obviously horrific. But he could potentially have a better numbers against uh, North Carolina here. 
The defense will get some pressure on Drake Mays. They had three sacks last season. This will not be an upset, but North Carolina could certainly have its hands full with Georgia State on the road here. In the same noontime slot on CBS Sports Network, Army will be hosting UTSA. A couple of 0-1 teams, but again, UTSA, great game with Houston last week. They'll be trying to push again towards double-digit wins this season. Now, Army played a great game against Coastal Carolina last week. Great game between two non-Power 5 teams. Coastal Carolina did come out on top, 38-28. Grayson McCall did throw for three touchdowns for Coastal Carolina in that game, and they managed to uh, score a couple touchdowns in the fourth to pull that game out against Army. But uh, this this Army squad is still going to be a decent team, and uh, the Roadrunners as well. So that's, on a smaller scale, a good game on the CBS Sports Network. Now, it's kind of a light noon slate, other than those kind of interesting games in Texas, Alabama. Ohio State, who's currently number three. I believe they've been moved up to number two. I'll have to check the poll. But they're currently hosting Arkansas State. On the Big Ten Network at noon, Arkansas State uh, 1-0 so far. They did win their opener. Miami is ranked 15th. They'll be hosting Southern Mississippi on the ACC Network. They hung 70 points up last week in an easy win over Bethany-Cookman. Vanderbilt is off to a 2-0 start, and they'll be hosting number 23, Wake Forest, who's 1-0 without Sam Hartman at quarterback. Now, the Commodores have played Hawaii and Elon so far, and they beat Elon 42-31, managed to survive that game. So I'm not expecting a whole lot from the Commodores yet, and nor should you, but they are 2-0 so far. I think they're sitting at a a 2.5 over-under on the year. So they are on a great pace so far, and Wake Forest has played Mitch Griffiths. Griff Griffiths, I think that's right. Uh, at quarterback, he's 21 for 29 for three touchdowns last week. He's been a great uh, alternative there with Hartman out again with his health issues. 214 yards on the ground for those guys. So, again, not expecting a great game there, but it will be on the SEC Network. Kansas State will be hosting Missouri on ESPN2. Kansas State favored by over a touchdown. The Tigers managed to win last week. I don't think they looked particularly impressive in beating Louisiana Tech 52-24. to That's a team that's historically had some really good years, but recently they've been struggling to kind of rebuild that program. And Kansas State could be a team that surprises in the Big 12. They won uh, nine games last year, and uh, they beat South Dakota 34 to nothing this last weekend, but didn't have to exert a lot of energy to do it. They put up 20 points in the first quarter, it's 20 nothing, and uh, just didn't do a whole lot the whole rest of the way. It wasn't particularly exciting. So this could be a, a good back-and-forth game. The Kansas State still favored in that one, and uh, Missouri just, just not looking particularly impressive. But that could be a good uh, alternative. Minnesota will be hosting West Illinois, Western Illinois on the Big Ten Network. Northwestern will be hosting Duke in a major Power 5 battle on FS1 between two teams looking at 3-9 and nine records at this point. Penn State will be hosting Ohio, who could be feisty out of the MAC. They'll be on ABC. Penn State's favored by almost four touchdowns in that game. Uh, NC State's currently ranked 18th. They'll be playing Charleston Southern on ESPN3. Utah will recover against Southern Utah at 130 
on the Pac-12 network. Other than the rare instance of a loaded late-night schedule this upcoming Saturday, the afternoon is the prime viewing hour as far as matchups. So starting with 2.30, we have Notre Dame hosting Marshall on the NBC and Peacock networks. Notre Dame looking to rebound after a good defensive stand last week. Marshall won its opener and uh, is looking to take on a top opponent here. Last week they knocked off Norfolk State 55 to nothing. So looking to see a matchup against a solid opponent here, but really just really just looking to see the Notre Dame offense get going and see what they're able to offer here um, after struggling in the opener. At 3.30, the top games include Texas A&M hosting Appalachian State, Pittsburgh hosting Tennessee, Wisconsin hosting Washington State, and we have a, a slew of kind of lower tier games as well. But starting with Texas A&M, who's ranked number sixth right now, they'll be hosting Appalachian State on ESPN2. This is the same same Appalachian State, of course, that gave uh, North Carolina a real scare last weekend. And they'll be looking to rebound against the Texas A&M team that did not look super spry against Sam Houston. They won 31 to nothing, had a rain delay for several, several hours. But uh, Texas A&M had a quarterback battle. Haynes King, who was the starting quarterback for last season to start before he was injured and missed three quarters of the season, is back again. He was 20 for 31 for 364, three touchdowns, two interceptions. He just doesn't look great, though. Just does not look like a very good quarterback. He had some balls die on him. Two interceptions against Sam Houston State is pretty atrocious. Devin Arcane, the expected to be one of the top running backs taken in the next NFL draft. 18 carries for 42 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. Awful. That's just not good. So, uh, again, this is one of the slower-paced offenses in all the country. Jimbo Fisher takes his time, but just not just did not look super great against a very inferior opponent. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if Appalachian State was able to hang in here a little bit. I'm not sure that they'd be able to meet the uh, strength of the trenches, but... We'll see about that. Currently, Texas A&M is favored by close to 20. Over-unders about 52.5, but I just uh, just don't know. Appalachian State, I think, can hang in this. This will be one of the games I'm certainly watching in the 330 slot. Number 17, Pittsburgh, will be hosting number 24, Tennessee, on ABC at 330. And this is within a touchdown. Uh, Tennessee is currently favored on the road at Pittsburgh. Of course, the Panthers won against West Virginia 38-31, to so back-to-back non-conference Power 5 battles here. think last week's result may have flipped this line a little bit here. Tennessee crushed Ball State 59-10. They looked just fine doing it. Ball State, not one of the worst teams in the country. Hooker was 18 for 25, 221 yards and two touchdowns they didn't give up points until the second half when they let off the gas a little bit they led 38 to nothing at the half and uh played a number of quarterbacks in this game defense looked better so that's where the main problems were for this team no sacks but uh looking better so pittsburgh again 
needs to be able to step it up on offense, I think, to compete with Tennessee. The strengths are going to be Pittsburgh's front seven and Tennessee's passing attack with Hendon Hooker. But after uh, kind of last week's results, kind of have to wonder if um, Tennessee isn't, has the ability to just blow them out of this game. McKendon Slovic will really have to, I think, kind of show up here and, and show that he can battle. And Tennessee's defense on the flip side will have to show that they can contain a little bit and that they've stepped up from last season. But this should be an excellent game. On Fox at 3.30, we will get sophomore running back Brandon Allen and the Wisconsin Badgers currently ranked 19th. They'll be welcoming in from the West Coast, the Cougars of Washington State. This was supposed to be a big matchup, but uh, man, the Cougars struggled against Idaho, who they were trailing to at the half, I believe. It was tied 10-10 last week. That is just a bad look, a bad, bad look. Charlie Ward who lost the starting job at Utah last year as a starting quarterback for the Cougars. He's at his third school. He was 25 for 40 for 215 yards and three touchdowns, but uh, just a real tough start for Washington there. I would hope that they would really show up, although they're flying across the country. For this ball game, Wisconsin beat the Illinois State Redbirds 38 to nothing, and uh, Brandon Allen showed up again, so... We'll see what uh, happens here. Wisconsin should be uh, heavily favored. I believe they are Yep, by uh, 17 points at the moment. I hope this is interesting. Very contrasting styles. Very physical run game of Wisconsin. And uh, an aerial finesse attack of Washington State. But that will be on Fox at 3.30. Now Air Force and Colorado will be on CBS. On that 3.30 slot, Air Force is heavily favored over this Colorado team that hung with TCU for a half last week. Air Force won their opener as well over a not very good Northern Iowa team. Occasionally they field some good squads, but they beat them 48-17. to Navy and Memphis both lost their openers. They're on the CBS Sports Network at 3.30. Cincinnati will be playing Kanishawa State on ESPN+. They should be uh, on slate for a nice rebound there. Clemson will be hosting Furman on the ACC network at 3.30. Maryland in their passing attack will take on Charlotte, who's now 0-2 at 3.30. So moving on to the 4 o'clock slate here, we have a number of, of cupcakes, unfortunately. Michigan State will be hosting Akron on the Big 12 network. Georgia will be hosting Samford on the SEC network, so... That offense that was so exciting to watch last week will only get uh, about a quarter and a half of use as they take on Samford there. Washington will be playing Portland State. Of course, Washington had a horrible start last year, a horrible season all the way through, but started off not too bad against Kent State, a 45-20 to victory under Michael Penix Jr., the Indiana transfer. Penix tossed four touchdowns, which might be a career high. 345 yards looked excellent. So hopefully he'll be able to continue his great career there. Again, 20 points given up to the Golden Flashes on the defensive side of the ball. That's not exactly what you want to see there, but they're making progress. Now your top watches in the 4 o'clock slot are going to be Texas Tech hosting Houston on FS1. Illinois hosting Virginia on ESPNU, Iowa hosting Iowa State on the Big 
10 network. Those are going to be your top watches. Now, starting out with Texas Tech and Houston, this is a field goal game and another big game for Houston. Of course, the uh, UTSA game last week against the Roadrunners, surviving there. Need more from the offense. It can't be all Clayton Tune, the starting quarterback there. The defense has been quite reliable. And for the Red Raiders, they were able to knock off Murray State 63-10 to last week, but they just need to play a competent opponent. And uh, they'll have a couple coming up in the slate here. But it starts with the Houston Cougars. Donovan Smith was 14 for 16 for 221 yards. They had a number of quarterbacks play, uh, but he had four touchdowns in the game. They also had 133 yards on the ground, split up amongst a number of backs. And uh, yeah, just a lower quality opponent, but grabbing the win like they should have. And Houston grabbing their first big victory over the year. And uh, they really need to stay undefeated if they hope to make any kind of, of national noise. So this will be a big game on FS1. Iowa, Iowa State, of course. Ugh, this is going to be a gross, but it's on the Big Ten Network. The over-under is 40 points, which seems way too high. And, um, yeah, so will Iowa State's offense be able to move the ball? They forced no turnovers last week. I don't even have much to say about this game. Iowa State managed to beat Southeast Missouri State last week 42-10. to of course, they're operating with a new quarterback for the first time in several seasons. Hunter Deckers was 25 for 31 for 293 yards and four touchdowns last week. That's an 80% completion percentage. They look to have a solid back. Jariri Brock. Jariri Brock, yeah. 104 yards and a touchdown for him as they're replacing Bryce Hall as well. So a new quarterback running back combo there as they've had the same for several seasons. So Iowa State might be in good shape here to grab a victory in the rivalry if last week was in the indication. And finally, Illinois, Virginia on a little bit uh, lower level, if you will, here and a, on a flip over watch. Although, again, the afternoon's loaded. Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Appalachian State, Wisconsin, uh, Washington State, Texas Tech, Houston, Iowa, Iowa State. If some of those are too boring or get too out of hand. There's still Illinois, Virginia. Illinois still hoping to rebound. They're one and one now. Virginia has a great quarterback in Brennan Armstrong, one of the best in the ACC. He had 246 yards and a couple touchdowns last week in a win over lowly Richmond. It was only a 34-17 victory. So I guess that kind of tells you where Illinois and Virginia are at right now. Having a tough time scraping it out over some lower level competition, but uh, at least they're about to equal level as far as uh, competition wise. Before getting into the thick of the evening slate, I want to touch on the 5 o'clock Pac-12 game that's UCLA hosting Alabama State. That's only because UCLA has an easy opening schedule. They beat Bowling Green 45-17 to last week, Alabama State this upcoming week, South Alabama after that, then they'll play a road game at Colorado to open the Pac-12 conference play. Depending on where the Buffalo sit at that point, it may be a two or three touchdown spread on that game. So their first real challenge will presumably be with how Washington looks right now when they host Washington on September 30th. 
So that may be the first game of any real significance for the Bruins, and that'll start a tough stretch where they play Washington, Utah, take a bye week, and then play at Oregon. So they even give themselves a little cushion in there, but that'll be the tougher part of their schedule there. They're already receiving top 25 votes, so it would not surprise me to see them sneak in in the next couple of weeks, but they're not going to get a whole lot of talk because they aren't beating any quality competition. So to get into the actual evening slate for this upcoming week, at 6 o'clock there are a lot of lower level games, but Liberty is hosting UAB on ESPN+. That's probably the crown jewel there. But at 7 o'clock we will have the Florida Gators, who are currently ranked 12th. They went from unranked to 12th in the AP poll, and they will be hosting the number 20 Kentucky Wildcats in the first big divisional matchup between the SEC East opponents, and it will be on ESPN. This is the big game of the day. The Kentucky Wildcats had a tough time getting off the ground against Miami of Ohio last week, but won 37 to 13. Their quarterback, Will Levy, has generated some NFL buzz. He was 21 for 32 last week for 303 yards and three touchdowns. They didn't get much going on the ground at all, 50 yards total there. The defense took a little bit to get going, but this squad is pushing for double-digit wins, just like they had last year. That's a rarity in Wildcat country. The Florida Gators, obviously, most of us saw what Anthony Richardson was able to put on, and he's hoping to replicate that against a very good defense here using his legs and his arm. So we'll have to see if he can replicate a great performance. We could look back on this game and say, how are these two teams even ranked? Or we could look back and say, wow, we have two future NFL quarterbacks on the field and a slew of great defensive players as well. Now, it's a big matchup in the East. Tennessee is in the mix there. Georgia, of course, favored to win it. But South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt's surprising 2-0. We don't expect those teams to necessarily be in the hunt, but that's kind of an up-and-air division. So it was big for Florida to win last week. And uh, it's a big matchup for these two to be playing each other. And that is going to be in the swamp, just like last week. So it'll be great to see Anthony Richardson, who might be must-watch television this year, back on the field against a good quality opponent and a good defense. There are two other games in the 7-7-30 time slot that catch my eye here. On ABC at 7.30, we'll get to see USC on the road at Stanford. USC is up to number 10 in the uh, top 25 poll. And this is a big deal. Stanford is tied for the most production returning in the Pac-12. Tanner McKee, again, has NFL scouts checking him out. He had 308 yards on his 22 completions on 27 pass attempts last week and two touchdowns. They only played Colgate. They went 41 to 10 and struggled to kind of do that. But this is a team that welcomed in, welcomed in Oregon to their stadium last year and beat them. And that was one of their three wins last year. So they're certainly capable of uh, competent coaching and surprising some squads. Now, will this USC team be one of them? Well, USC gave up 14 points to Rice. And anytime you allow any points by Rice, it's too many. They put up 66 on the offensive side of things. And I think kind of let off the gas there towards the end of the game. I mean, 28 points in the third quarter, but certainly in the fourth quarter, 
And I think that this could be a little bit of a struggle, a physical team against the USC Trojans. We know the defense is a little bit of a question. Will Stanford be able to put up enough of an offensive threat to keep pace with the Trojans? Probably not, but this could be a very scary spot in only the second week with uh, Lincoln Riley and the USC Trojans and all these transfers, and it would be up to Stanford, typical Stanford, to really throw a wrench into things in David Shaw there. The spread is less than 10 points right now, so this would be a very scary game for the uh, Trojans and Caleb Williams here. The other game is that Oklahoma State Cowboys squad that put up a bazillion points last week and the Central Michigan team that kept up with them. Well, this week it's going to be Arizona State out of the Pac-12. Now, this team's had a lot of issues with transfers in and out and uh, allegations of illegal recruiting during the 2020 period, I believe it was. A lot of stuff would be legal now, um, but it was supposed to be a dead period with the virus going on. And um, a lot of players have transferred out, and Herm Edwards has gotten in a lot of uh, hot water over that. But where we're sitting now is Emory Jones, who's hoisted out of Florida by uh, Anthony Richardson, is now the starting quarterback here. He was 13 for 18 last week for 152 yards, no touchdowns but uh, had 48 yards on the ground and two rushing touchdowns, I should say. It led the Arizona State squad to an opening win over a much lower level Northern Arizona team, 42-3. And this group is really finding its way on both sides of the football with, again, a number of transfers and a lot of talent leaving and the recruiting class getting crushed. But uh, this is not going to be a great spot playing such a high-octane Offense from the looks of it and the Cowboys, I just want to see if it's possible that they run up the score again. Is the defense going to be a problem? Is Arizona State Emory Jones going to be able to move the ball on them? But this is in Stillwater, home of the Cowboys, 730 ESPN2. Cowboys currently favored by 11 points. A few of the other uh, lower tier games in this evening slate. Oklahoma will be hosting that Kent State flash team that can be awfully feisty. They're favored by 30-plus points at the moment, though. That's ESPN+. Plus. Old Miss, which struggled against Troy last week just a little bit as they've got a number of transfers and new pieces in play. They won 28-10. to 10. That's supposed to be a very high-flying offense. Jackson Dart was 18 for 27 for 154 yards, a touch and a pick last week. They found a ground game. Zach Evans at 20 carries for 130 yards. And that team just really struggled a little bit uh, last week against Troy. They should take care of Central Arkansas on ESPN Plus and the SEC Plus Network. But it'd be nice if their offense got fired up. Syracuse will be on the road at UConn on the CBS Sports Network at 7. Trying to build off that great first win blowout over Louisville. Utah State will be trying to rebound against Weber State at 7. That does not have a network currently listed, nor should you be watching it, but it's a quick mention there. Auburn will be hosting San Jose State on ESPNU. Tigers, again, trying to kind of rebound that uh, ball club. They beat Mercer 42-16 to last week, but uh, just a, a lot of controversy surrounding that team. 212 yards passing last week, but Robbie Ashford had 100 of them. TJ Finley had 112 of them. And uh, 
he was one one touchdown, two picks, so maybe still a little bit of quarterback controversy there. Uh, Ashford was also able to add 68 yards on the ground. So we'll we'll see how that continues. They still have time to figure it out. They have an easy schedule. San Jose State has struggled since being involved in the MAC 12 title race a couple years back. Nebraska, oh god, they'll be playing Georgia Southern on FS1 at 7:30. I mean. Maybe they'll win that game. LSU will be hosting Southern on the SEC Network at 7.30. I will be at Michigan. They will host, they are hosting Hawaii on the Big Ten Network at 8 o'clock. Indiana will be hosting that very difficult Idaho team on the Big 12, uh, Ten Network as well at 8 o'clock. Regional, depending on where you're at, you'll get Michigan or Indiana. The Virginia Tech squad will be hosting Boston College, who lost to Rutgers last week on the ACC network at 8 o'clock. And we have a few other mismatches here and there. Oregon will be hosting Eastern Washington at 8.30. Gunner Talkton for Eastern Washington put up almost 350 yards passing and five touchdowns last week. But presumably Oregon will be able to get their up-tempo offense going and beat Eastern Washington fair. If you are a night owl, the night, late night slate, of course, Eastern time for this upcoming weekend was built for you. Number 21, BYU, was hosting number nine, Baylor, on ESPN. That's a hell of a nightcap. That's a 10-15 game. The Baylor Bears hammered Albany 69-10 to last week. They looked just fine, of course, against an inferior opponent. But Blake Schappen was 17 for 20 for 214 and two touchdowns. Looked perfectly fine at quarterback uh, after taking over the starting job there. 259 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground for the Baylor Bears, who scored at least two touchdowns in every single quarter that is consistency. Now the Cougars beat Southern Florida 50 to 21, gave up maybe a few too many points on the back end. Of course, the Southern Florida Cougars had the former quarterback of the Baylor Bears, Gary Bohannon, and he did not have such a good day against this BYU Cougar defense, but that doesn't mean that Blake Schappen couldn't. Currently, that's a three and a half point line BYU's way. I'm not sure that I completely agree with that. I'm leaning more towards Baylor here, but this should be an exciting game at Provo, Utah, and uh, 10:15 ESPN. Again, I think the trenches on both sides for Baylor. That offense might be might be quite dangerous, but again, not against a quality opponent, and uh, we'll see what they can do here. But I'm leaning Baylor Bears on that game. Should be great. Three and a half point spread BYU's way right now. 10.30, not not even, just 15 minutes later on the CBS Sports Network. Fresno State, who's got to be feeling pretty great about themselves after the way that uh, Utah State and Boise State and San Diego State, the other teams hopeful for the Mountain West crown, embarrassed themselves last week. They crushed Cal Poly. 35-7, to seven. not much that can be uh, said about that. But still, can't be too proud, but they are still rolling on here. And they'll get the Oregon State Beavers team that pounded Boise State last week. Have to be pretty happy with the Beavers' performance. Quarterback rolling in here, Chance Nolan, 
14 for 23, 251 yards, 2-2. Two and two. Not an excellent performance, but he's able to get things done. He's one of the few returning starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and he's a dual threat. He can be a little scary. Oregon really middle of the line for a lot of statistical categories, not particularly special or standout. Fresno State's just going to fling the ball all over the place. Quarterback Jake Hayner was 36 for 42 last week. That's over 85% completion percentage, 344 yards and a couple touchdowns, and he'll be prepared to do it again against Oregon State. This will be a great, a great game. And uh, I expect Fresno to be right in it, and this would be a great feather in their cap if they could get a Power 5 win here. They have USC next week and a late-night slate, so that'll be uh, at the top of my watch watch guide, I'm sure. Uh, but Oregon State and Fresno State at 10.15 on the CBS Sports Network. At 11 on FS1, you're going to get Arizona hosting Mississippi State in Tucson, that's going to be wild. Now, Mississippi State, the Bulldogs beat Memphis 49-23 to last week. They looked pretty solid in beating up the Tigers. Will Rogers did his usual 49 pass attempts for 450 yards and five touchdowns, just flipping the ball all over the place. And he'll be prepared to do it again here against an Arizona Wildcat team that will be able to do the same under Mr. DeLora, Jaden DeLora, who did an excellent job throwing for literally one yard under 300 against San Diego State last week. This will be great. He threw for four touchdowns as well. This could very well be a shootout, and uh, I'm here for it. Uh, both teams can play, I think, a little defense. The roster for Mississippi State's going to be a lot better than Arizona, although they're starting to pull in the recruits now. But uh, this should be... this has potential to be an exciting game. Arizona, if last week is any indication, could be just a out-of-nowhere exciting watch fun team. And Mississippi State was already on my top 10 most exciting teams to watch, regardless of result, coming into this season. All right, let's hit our categories here. Your top weekend watch is on that Friday slate. Of course, you only have two options, but it's at 7.30 game. Louisville at Central Florida on ESPN. Can Malik Cunningham and that Louisville offense get it together and put some points up on Central Florida? Or will the Knights continue to roll and get their first big win of the season over a Power 5 squad? Your must-watch, and there's several options on the slate, if you're to sit down and watch one game this week, what would that be? I ruled out Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, Pitt is an option. Baylor, BYU, I thought for sure was going to be my pick. But I'm actually going with Kentucky and Florida at 7 o'clock on ESPN as the number one watch. Anthony Richardson looks like the real deal after that Utah win. Hopefully we'll get to see him throw it a few more times, a few more big throws, and of course watch him run around and another home game two big home games to open up here and uh, we'll leave us for the Kentucky Wildcats we'll see if he can move the ball against this this good defense for the Florida Gators my audible is in the noon slate that's number 23 Wake Forest at Vanderbilt on the SCC network 
This line has opened up a little bit. It's almost at two touchdowns. Sam Hartman is returning after his blood clot issue, and he will be piloting the Wake Forest Demon Deacons offense again. Vanderbilt's offense has looked good so far, but again, not great competition. They're off to 2-0 start. That's my audible. After the Texas-Alabama game, and really the noon slot is where I went for a lot of these games. My underrated watch on the day is North Carolina at Georgia State, which I touched on quite a bit earlier. That's the ESPNU noon game. Will Georgia State be able to frustrate North Carolina's offense? Will they be able to put points up? It certainly seems like it. And Drake May, again, looks like a star, a quarterback for the North Carolina Tar Heels, who will hopefully have their top receiver back in that game. My check-in, my game to definitely take a peek at, that's Missouri at Kansas State on ESPN2, also in the noon slot. Definitely catch that for a few minutes in between games. Missouri, again, not a lot of expected from that team. Kansas could be a surprise team. Deuce Vaughn at running back looks like a star. Not much was asked for quarterback transferred. Adrian Martinez from Nebraska for Kansas last week. Uh, but that has potential to be a great matchup. And maybe Kansas State can make some noise in the Big 12. A small screen matchup. UTSA, the Roadrunners, in another combative matchup at Army on the CBS Sports Network, also on that noon slate. So be flipping around there once Alabama puts some points up on Texas. Wake Forest at Vanderbilt, North Carolina at Georgia State, Missouri at Kansas State, UTSA at Army. Lots of games to flip to on that noon slate. And finally, the late night snack. Again, we went over how all the games are great, but uh, obviously BYU hosting Baylor is uh, top of the card there. Can the Cougars pull a massive upset at home? They do play at Oregon next week. Then they have Wyoming, who's looking like they're going to struggle this year, and Utah State. We'll see where their level's at after the tough opener against Alabama. There's still Notre Dame, Arkansas on the schedule, Stanford, East Carolina, Boise State towards the back end. Some of those teams have looked better than others after week one, but it's going to be a rough road ahead for BYU. This is a big game for them. And Baylor, a loss here, of course, doesn't impact the Big 12 conference race, but this would be a major non-conference win for the Bears. So that is your weekend. I will be at Michigan watching J.J. McCarthy take the start there and watching him tear apart the Hawaii defense. And uh, we'll see who'll be the starter at Michigan probably decided in the next couple weeks here. UConn will be in week three. Maybe they'll split starts there. Who knows? But I'll be at uh, Michigan and enjoy your watching this weekend. All my blessings, 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 all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to a